Hi, welcome to Words in Whiskey Short Pours, a mostly monthly podcast where we have a fun time discussing fictional worlds and the people that create them, all while boozing just a little bit. My name is Cross, and today I'm joined by PJ, and we are going to be chatting about the big, bad, bitey video game adaptation, Castlevania, produced by Netflix. So we're going to be talking about season one. All right. Yeah. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our patron, Ragnar L. Thor. For sponsoring this, that's one of our special tiers on our Patreon feed where you can sponsor some content and sponsor an episode. He additionally sponsored uh, another month for season two of this show, so that will be coming soon, TM. Uh, (laughs) We we haven't made a plan on when to record that. We're kind of doing a little bit of an experimentation on the format for this one, so... We'll, I mean, this is maybe too much inside baseball, but we'll, we'll figure it out and, <laughs> and we'll get going on season two in a little while. We have so many short pours to record PJ. Actually, it is funny to me thinking about kind of the, the structure and everything that we've going on. We've got Warbreaker to finish this month. We've got this one to go. And then January 1st, the brand new Brandon Sanderson book comes out. So oh, in addition, we've got to do the year of Sanderson stuff. So in the span between like now and January, we're recording three or four of these episodes. So, but this, this one's going to stay a patron exclusive for a bit before it goes into the public feed in addition to the other one. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is going to be fun, but cool. we had a theme today. I didn't know it was the theme when I pitched this idea, but it worked out. What are you drinking today? Crossland? PJ, I am having a 2018 Monte Scarlato Cabernet Sauvignon, and it is from Red Mountain, which is a Washington Mountain winery. They're excellent. One of our close friends, family friends, works there as kind of their marketing and helps on helps on that side of things. And yeah, I just decided that that was what I was going to have today because it's what was available to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's also yeah. very good. It's very tasty. I am having a Predator 2017 six-spot red blend. So it's Petite Syrah, Zinfandel, and Malbec. Mm, yum, yum. I haven't had so this we're one both before, having, but it is very good. <laughs> we're both having red wine, which is, of course, very fun and interesting. And it is funny because you know nothing about what we're going to be talking about today, which is super exciting. But maybe maybe that's where we should start to some degree is what's your experience, PJ, with Castlevania? What do you know about Castlevania in general? It is entirely a blind spot for me. Have not had entirely. entirely. Didn't even pick up on the context clues of the name that it was vampire related until you mentioned it in the text message when we were talking about having red wine. So, (laughs) yeah, it is blank slate for me. I have no idea what I'm getting into. Okay, that's that's super fun. I've been playing Castlevania games since I was very little. Not very little, but I guess I was like the first Castlevania game that I played was Symphony of Night. And I was I think that's Castlevania three or second. Yeah, it's the second one, I think. I am so we have the internet. maybe it's the third one. I forget. I'm staring at a list and they're also out of order. So that doesn't help me at all. Oh, my God. It is way later than I think it is. Chronologically, it looks like it's number two. OK, anyway, I played Castlevania Symphony of Night, which came out in 97. The original Castlevania came out in 1986. It is kind of a side scroller Metroid Metroidvania like game from that era and features prominently vampires and vampire hunters. So, awesome. beasts and monsters of all kind. 
So I grew up playing this game. Not all of them, mind you. Obviously, I'm unaware of a lot of these, but I've probably played three or four Castlevania games. All right. How many are there total? It looks like there's over 20. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So you've you've scratched the surface on Castlevania games. Well, the thing is, is that the stories themselves follow like particular subsets of characters. So it's kind of like you've got a bunch of different plot lines running. And so you can kind of switch. It's not like it's one continuous main character for all of the games because it follows a legacy of a of, of family kind of. Yeah, it's it's a lot. But the the two that stick out most to me in my memory are the, of course, Symphony of Night. I played Portrait of Ruin on the Nintendo DS. And then I believe it was also dawn of sorrow yes those were the two that were for the ds that i played so the first one that i played was on playstation which was kind of the original side scroller and then i got two for the ds when i was yeah awesome they kind of worked together so yeah i love castlevania i actually we'll talk about experience I've watched the first couple of episodes. I actually had watched the first couple of episodes back when it originally came out. And it's not that I bounced off of it. I bounced off of Netflix on the whole for a long time. And so I just, I never made it back. We started talking about doing this and then I rewatched the first episode and I was like, oh yeah, this was really fun. Well, I don't want to give anything away, of course, but PJ, what's, what, what's your experience with Castlevania? Obviously it's zero, but like, what are you looking forward to thoughts? Do you know anything about I, this media I that we're engaging in at all? Nothing. I know absolutely wow. nothing. So, so the only thing I've been doing is spoiling this for you yep. as we've been sitting here talking. Do you want to tell people about how we're going to explore this in the format today? Yes. So today what we're doing is we're, we're recording in segments essentially. So this we're recording this intro, then we're immediately going to watch the first episode. We'll record our thoughts on that, go through all four episodes of season one, and then record that that final kind of piece and our outro. And that's kind of how we'll structure the episode. But yeah, they're all going to be individual recordings that we'll stitch together then. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really fun, really interesting. It's something that works uniquely well with how short this season is and how short the episodes are. We'll see if we maintain some semblance of this, but I, I think that it's fun to kind of evaluate it as you're as you're stressed out. It also could be oh, not what? useful. No, 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 stretched out. Like, oh, stretched in, in out. Like, not, no, I thought, yeah, I thought right. you said, like, as I'm stressed out, I'm like, what am I getting into? No, 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 not as you're stressed out. But, like, as you as you think about, like, you know, the cliffhangers and stuff like that. Like there'll, there'll be like different moments. I imagine as we're going through this in which, you know, there'll be some, some nice cliffhangers and tension. And Mm -hmm. the other part is, is if this doesn't work, we're just going to record a lot about it at the end anyway, when we wrap up all of our thoughts. So either way, it's going to be a fun, fun experiment of an episode. Yes, it will. So, so with that, should we sign off and start, (laughs) start watching? Yeah. All right. So now that we're done with the first episode, I figured that I did still want to maintain kind of the the general episode format that we usually do covering media like this, given that we're 
a little bit removed from spoilers, it didn't feel right to put it in on the top when you didn't really know what the show was about yet. So if you wouldn't mind, PJ, giving the summary a read here. When Lisa Tepes, beloved wife of Vlad Tepes, a.k.a. Dracula, is accused of witchcraft and burned at the stake by an overzealous bishop, Dracula declares war on the people of Wakala and unleashes an army of murderous demonic creatures from hell. Produced and distributed by Netflix, it includes an all-star cast, including Richard Armitage, James Callis, Graham McTavish, and Alejandra Reynoso, and so many more voice actors that you'll recognize further and further and further that we get in here. I think the bishop's played by Nolan North. I don't know if you noticed that, but one of the most prolific gaming voice actor leads, period. Yeah, the, Um, the voice acting in this is already incredible. Yeah. Frankly, a little ridiculous. But before we go too far into that, let's talk about episode. I mean, we just watched episode one. Let's let's go through it. So, episode one, witch bottle. Basically, the same summary as the summary at the top. But a headstrong young woman seeks out forbidden knowledge, and a corrupt bishop courts disaster by enraging a legend. So we start this story in Wallachia in 1455, and then quickly cut about 20 years later after a brief intro between Lisa and Dracula. What'd you think of kind of the, the episode? What'd you think of that? So Wallachia, not Wakala. Yeah, that makes more sense. They said it like three times. They, so they I was did like, say it Wakala. several times. All good. Yep. I'm good at reading stuff. Please just call it Wallachia or like, you know, it's like a, the W that's also semi-V-ish. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that Castlevania sticks a little bit of a different inflection on it than more traditional pronunciations that I've heard. Is it a real place? No, okay. but it's a fictional place. Cool. It was it, kind I said of traditional. A, yeah, that was wrong. But yeah. kind of a bold meat cute. <laughs> Very bold meat cute. I am so sorry. I am actually wrong. Wallachia is a real place. It is a part of Romania. I genuinely didn't realize that it was one of the legit principalities. I knew that it was based on a bunch of other things, and I knew that it was. Oh shit! Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Sometimes you eat shit. Yeah. I just did it right there. Anyway. I I almost wish we had a little bit more time in that in that beginning space or like an intermediary where they're like actually teaching each other things. But we get enough, I guess, exposition and can fill in the blanks. What do you think of that? Do you think it needed? Yes, but I also I I have a decent amount of background on this show, so I I know that there's some reasons as to why this show is the way that it is, especially for this first season. And some of that is ultimately that this was one of the first big animated projects that Netflix took on to see if people would like it because they'd been having a bunch of animated projects that they had started and stopped and whatever. And so they weren't fully committed to the idea of doing an R-rated animation and like paying for it and doing it all in-house. So they figured they would do something short and give it kind of a lot of punch and give it their all in every which way and direction, including this crazy cast. And it was ultimately very successful, but I agree with you. I think that this is a clear, this is a very clear thing that was, that I would love more exposition on so that we could get a little bit more grounding in the character. We get enough to understand why Vlad is so mad, but you know. Yeah. I mean, we, if you've got the constraint of four, standard length episodes and you've got to fit as much as you can into that i guess it it makes sense that stuff that can be filled in 
in the in the watcher's mind makes sense to to exclude it mm-hmm. but god damn the animation in this is killer i love this style just brutal <laughs> yeah the the general animation style is just incredible and i forget the production house powerhouse animation did the kind of is the kind of group that did the whole thing but mua film in particular were the ones that managed the first three seasons of animation. And yeah, they do a, an outrageously good job of making this feel like gritty and grounded and also kind of like you're watching a painting move. Like you could stop yeah. any of those stills for the most part and they would look amazing. The only one that stood out to me as a little bit odd and I understand that it's supposed to be intentionally off-putting was the the sort of grotesquery of the eye and that one like half severed. I, I couldn't tell if it was a child or just a person. I think it was a child. And, like the head yeah. laying. Yeah. That was the only one that felt it was, it was great because it was off putting, but it was the only one that felt a little bit disconnected from the rest of the art style for me. Uh, I was going to comment because on I was it. Trying to highlight it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the only one. Not that it was an issue again. It was just different, mm-hmm. you know, popped out as the eye did out of the socket. Yeah, but those those spiked skeletons walking in at the intro, mm-hmm. just dope. Uh, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was the bishop the or the archbishop the only other person to have like super long, slender, spiky fingernails other than Vlad? I'm pretty sure he did. Yes, I know he did. Right. I didn't know if anybody else did. Like, if that was a style choice or like just how people's hands look in the show or. Mm-hmm. Like it, it stuck out to me as a clear similarity and maybe points to him being less than totally human. Great. Great but, question. Great point. Could yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Uh, the title witch bottle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's something I'm not experienced with. Like, is that a term? Is that, does that come from somewhere? I didn't quite understand the name. It's it's funny to me because it I mean witch bottle is a term. It's generally the term for a counter magical item uses protection against witchcraft. So that's sort of the the term. It's filled with like herbs and it's an old England thing. But yeah, very very kind of old by all means. It but at the same time for me I I see what in TV they call like bottle episodes. Uh, is kind of where my brain went where it's like this is a self-contained thing that you could watch and like not need like you could watch future episodes you could skip it it's kind of the the interesting thing and i wonder if that holds true i wonder if you'll agree that that holds true to some degree because this feels like a prologue episode in a big way and there's nothing wrong with that by any stretch but i just saw i saw which bottle is the title and i'm like that's so fascinating because we aren't really with our main character yet of whom we get introduced to at the very end um but you don't you don't know his name yet necessarily mm-hmm. we also have the other mysterious man my question is though did you do did you have the subtitles on here no okay all right cool subtitles expose some names so i didn't want to say names unless we unless we were there yet so we've got the mysterious man back backtracking a little bit we have the mysterious man who confronts dracula right before the the year time skip that happens what did you think of that silver white-haired individual that's honestly like thinking back on it i completely forgot about that it's such a quick moment it's like maybe 40 seconds but but dramatic and like they Mm. actually fight and there's like blood splatter and like i like he's clearly familiar with and 
in cahoots with, I guess is how you would say it. Like he, he seems to be not vampiric, but not, not a foe. I don't, I don't know what to make of him. He also says something about them both mourning, right? In that moment. Yeah, he does. I'll mourn with you, but I will not help you commit genocide. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're a thruple. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fun. I, I think sure. I'm going to go with that one. That's fascinating. What's What's great for me as a as a person of whom has played these games is I know all of these characters. Like I know a hundred percent of them the moment that they flash on screen. So what's funny is is as someone who has done this and who's played this game, it's very cool to like see all of these different things and be like, oh I know who that is. Oh I know who that is. Meanwhile you're like a traditional watcher, for some watcher, you're completely left in the dark from a storytelling standpoint. And I think in both cases the storytelling is so well executed that it feels great either way. Mm-hmm. I don't did you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I hadn't, I had no idea whether or not these were existing characters or like cameos or just important characters in, in general. I, I didn't feel lost. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was mm-hmm. missing out on anything. So I'm sure I am. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of context there that, that could add a lot to the story if you knew it, but I'm, I feel very satisfied with how this is presented as somebody that's not from Awesome. So I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't, at the very least, talk about the gore to some degree and like the genius editing on top of that. I mean, were you off put at all by the I, I, I think some people could see this as gratuitous, but I yeah. don't. I um, think it's great and fits the medium, you know, especially with vampires. It's always the rivers run red for the most part. Yeah, I thought all the gore was was well executed. It, it's a similar style as what The Legend of Vox Machina has mm-hmm. as far as like the amount and the severity of the gore. It's not I mean, it's not like that over the top, but maybe if somebody's not exposed to that kind of animation before, it could be seen as that. It, it like it is it is they don't shy away from it. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I thought I agree. I, I think that it for me, a this is an M rated video game more often than not. There are a number of T rated entries and there are some that predate the rating system to begin with. So like. I think it fits perfectly. I don't think that there's anything wrong with like this. It's it is a it is a gory vampire series by all intents and purposes and not it's worth noting. I, I know that I said that, you know, rivers run red and vampire stories a lot of time. That's not entirely true, but a, a lot of depictions do because it's such a central theme of, of life leaving and transference of life and everything else in inside of these stories that I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig it. What'd you make of the goat fucker conversation <laughs> in the bar? <laughs> See any particularly nice goats on your way in? <laughs> particularly attractive i can't remember just particular so he was asking about sheep which is funny because they've been talking about goats at the bar the whole time because his goat was getting fucked and so it was almost like he's not a goat fucker he's a sheep fucker and like that was the thing that registered with me and clicked and i was like oh god just it was like who would fuck a goat and then he's making comment about like hey sheep he's like that's that's totally acceptable I was asking out of genuine <laughs> curiosity. 
<laughs> and then on top of that, the like cousin <laughs> brother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think at their age they'd have that kind of sorted by now. Yeah. Right. That distinction. Oh, mm-hmm. man. That but was... they do end that conversation. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I, I just felt like that was pretty funny. Well, mm-hmm. well said. Gives you a gives you a vibe for the the way that these people live. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was great. I I really enjoy those those little bits. And it's you know to the point of Lisa in the beginning. You know they they are peasants. They don't have to be. You know by any stretch. And I I think that a very noble cause to to chase and to pursue. And I thought that it was an excellent portrayal therein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, I think that's the first moment that they actually swear in this show was that conversation yeah. pretty sure sounds right or it's the first one that stuck out to me yeah oh so sad that we lost lisa when we did yeah womp, womp. yeah womp womp and uh, then the was, what, what was the name of that family at the end that gets the reaction from the distinct looking man in the back the belmonts yes. belmonts the house belmont when they're talking about the great houses yeah is that the the right way to describe him? The distinct, the looking distinct man? looking man, the distinguished gentleman in the back with the uh, the giant fur cloak and wolf looking Jon Snow motherfucker. More uh, angular yeah, features. It, it almost felt like not quite a different animation style, but like a little bit of an artistic difference between him and the rest of the people in the bar. I think that's a fair statement. Because that model is going to get used a whole lot more than the other ones, you know, like very clearly that's what's being teased here at the end to us is like, here's your main character. Exactly. (laughs) Or a main character rather. So I I think that's fair to say because it's very clear that we're going to be sitting in in that person's perspective for a lot of this. I think I said at the beginning that I had seen the first three episodes. I started the third episode for like the first two or three minutes. And then you had texted me saying, Hey, what if we do this episode by episode? And I went, Oh shit. And shut it off. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen, I've only seen this next one fully in the very beginning of episode three. Okay. So cool. Knowing the, the games and maybe mm-hmm. it's different game by game, but what sort of point of view is presented in them versus this? Cause this feels very sympathetic towards, or is trying to be sympathetic towards Dracula and kind of presenting him as not righteous, but the the focus and and the perspective that we're like he he feels like the wronged character is is are the games presented in more of a is he presented in more of an like straight up antagonist light there that is interesting he is still an antagonist, but I would say like what's fascinating about the games to some degree and they don't all stick with this it's more there there were a couple of different reboots and some linear stuff and some adjustments to the storyline but if you take it for what it is the games sort of reveal things in the reverse so you're hunting dracula because duh it's dracula right so like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the premise on the outset and of course like he's wronged this dracula's wronged this family by upturning the empire of wallachia in order to counter stable you need to go kill him like the, like that's your quest is the protagonist in a couple of the different games and there's some other spins on that um but in the end you begin to discover these things and like sympathize and suddenly have this sort of twist which is why these games are so critically beloved is because it it sympathizes a, a character that is otherwise you know the like original playboy bloodthirsty 
I mean, truly like a fuck boy if you think about the original Dracula, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I mean, there, there are many more reveals to come that I'm very excited about that I'm aware of in the back of my head with stuff. So, and I'm not even talking about like next episodes. I'm just saying in general and the entire premise of how this is framed in this episode makes me very excited for the future episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season for sure. All right, cool. On to the next one. On to the next one. All right, hit it. All right. So we just wrapped up episode two, Necropolis. For the summary here, Trevor Belmont drifts into the panic city of Greshet, Greshet, rather, where he learns of an ancient evil and makes a surprising vow. So, PJ, what do you think of this second episode and our introduction to Trevor and kind of the world more generally at large? You can totally tell that this is a video game character. <laughs> how's that so i I think the biggest thing that makes him feel like a video game character to me and maybe it was done on purpose because of like how he's portrayed in the games or whatever it might be but the small like under the breath comments that your character will make when you're like moving around that he's like muttering to himself constantly and the like the path that he takes through treacherous ground, like jumping over like onto logs and on puddle, like over puddles and things like that, getting vantage points and like looking at things going from vendor to vendor, speaking to like a swordsmith guy. Like it, it all feels very set up like you would have a video game set up. And maybe maybe that's less to do with the character and more to do that with the source material and how they're pulling the story. But it, it the, like, had I not known that this was a video game first, I think I would have been able to tell if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, that is a a fascinating like add to some degree because the story itself of the games typically don't focus on like a city and like a ton of people or anything like that. So there usually isn't this sort of full blown environment because it's mostly meant predominantly the games that I played have been mostly running around Dracula's castle, which is ever moving and ever changing as we know from kind of the first thing. But this does have the, Oh, it it almost feels like Diablo. Yeah. Like, I I would agree. Yeah. All, All that to say, like I wasn't disagreeing by any stretch. I was just saying like it is, I I wouldn't necessarily pin it on this video game franchise, but it does feel still video gamey. I would say that the one thing that I definitely agree with is the way that like assessing terrain and that's particularly it's fun that they included so much verticality to some degree in this because the game is a platformer like it is entirely like a roam around, you know, figure out backtrack, do the same thing. So I, I would genuinely be shocked if we didn't like re-see some of these segments and like places that we've gone just from the stretch of like where the game comes from and where it's inspired from like, Oh, we're going to climb back past that guard. We're going to do this again. Cause that's mm-hmm. sort of the history of the, the game and what it spawned to some degree. Yeah. That's the other thing was going past that sleeping guard and like immediately mm-hmm. assuming that he's going to have to just fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That oh. was, 
the that's other thing very... it reminded me of with the with the spoken aspects of it, like him muttering to mm-hmm. himself, it felt very Wolfenstein. Mm-hmm. Of the the new the like the new Wolfenstein, yeah, the new variety. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to also tag back on that on the character front. I was thinking about kind of the game format. The characters also don't talk that much outside of when they're spoken to. So, mm-hmm. but he is snide in the games that I've played Trevor in. So you know. He he does kind of have that attitude about him, yeah. Which is which is fun. So yeah, yeah. I I really I really like the portrayal of Belmont in general of Trevor Belmont in general. What, yeah, I guess like would you? I'm still trying to think? piece together his motivations. Mm-hmm. He seems sure. like you. You and I have talked a lot about like paladins. Mm-hmm. And he he seems to kind of fit that mold, but begrudgingly. And I I think that makes sense because as stated, his family has been wronged by these people. I think one of the biggest indicators of like his contempt for the people that he spent so much of his life and his family has devoted their lives to saving is when he spits on all of the corpses that are there. Yeah. Right. When he's walking over the bridge and like all those bodies are piled there and you think pretty much any other character in most things that I've seen probably would have taken a second, just like kind of been shocked by it, but he spits on them specifically because of the way that he was also treated by them and how like his family was there to try to prevent these things forever and ever and ever. And now he's the last one. So that reaction got me in particular, that call out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It's just right. Uh, but the, we, we should back up and do a little bit, a little bit of scene setting for this whole thing. A, we start off with this, with the bar fight, with the drunken bar fight. He's clearly wasted and like yeah. really just kind of like slogging his way through as he rotates around and he's, he's, you know, he's getting owned by these three dudes, but in a, on a normal day, stone cold sober, as he says later, you know, can't mess with, I don't know if I believe him on that. Uh, yeah. So, so just to kind of take this in order at first, I thought he was faking being drunk because he didn't seem that wasted when he was in the booth listening. And then he only like presented as like a slobbering drunk when he got up to the bar and was fumbling around. Like I thought, I thought he was playing a game of some sort. I I thought he was trying to, to pull something. Bar fight was hilarious. He still won, I think being the only one that comes out and says he hopes they bleed to death, mm-hmm. <laughs> which if he hopes that like, I'm guessing that was more of a sort of side remark to himself a little bit. Cause he could have just killed them if they were unconscious or, or bleeding out or whatever. The big dude, the, the brother cousin of the first dude Cobb. Is that his name? I, think it's just in subtitle i don't think they actually say his name at any point okay they're Cobb and bosha as they're referred to in the subtitles gotcha well i i made a comment to you while we were watching it but his just kind of over just looking down at him and just like just ham-fisted punch to the face i think is exactly how i would bar fight people <laughs> if i were to ever get into a bar fight <laughs> yeah felt felt very me in that respect but then the stone cold sober comment he's he's bleary eyed his his eyes are like pink or bloodshot or whatever like mm-hmm. could you fight like that hung over to shit like maybe he doesn't have alcohol coursing through his his blood anymore but i i don't think you can move so swiftly when you're hung over and maybe are you he's saying not. when he's, in, he's the, in the alley fight 
Yeah. In the alley fight. I think he's hungry more than anything else. Like, I think he is hungover for sure, but I think he's also just like hungry and starved. But I think that shows to, to that point, PJ, I think that what that does a great job of showing us is that like, even in where most other people would be considered incompetent or like incapable, he's kind of superhero esque. Yeah, that's fair. Not not entirely, but you know, like he he is trained and capable and can hold his own even when deprived. Outside of when he's blackout drunk, in which case he's kind of just having fun. Like he, he kind of seemed like he was toying with him, especially with Bosha when he kicks and he grabs his foot and he just kind of leans him backwards. <laughs> Until he falls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for- that said, this does have a very rather, I think it's more appropriate to say, Legend of Vox Machina has a very Castlevania feel to the styling on combat and the like. It feels like they, they share some of that. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's also a uh, an artifact of their source materials. D&D is very video game-like in the way that it's 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 run most of the time yeah so like and the settings are similar like it's still sort of not quite medieval but in that vein this one is but yeah right right it's playing in the same sort of archetype we're we're talking at the very least so far in the legend of vox and castlevania you would you talk about both as in fantasy mm-hmm. so yeah, exactly. But yeah, definitely reminiscent of each other. Mm-hmm. So I'd be surprised yeah. if they didn't take take inspiration from it when they were making the the show. Yeah, some kind of inspiration. I mean, they they definitely share a lot of this. I I do really appreciate the showing off and flexing the whip because the whip is one of the iconic weapons from Castlevania in general. And the way that it's used is, is very, very fun because it is a sword sword whip combination and you use the whip for long range attacks and the short sword for close. And so it was cool to kind of see it utilized in action sequence to show like it's about creating space and like I create space with the whip and I back up and then I pull them under and you know, I I'm setting, you have to set up the whip attacks is kind mm-hmm. of the, the way that the game plays. So it feels good in this moment as well, where it's like he's playing around him and when he's coming at him to use and catch him and the priest and whatnot and kind of disarm from there. Yeah. It feels the, good. Feels the, right. <laughs> dismembering of the finger and removal of the eyeball with the whip were wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, the the finger, I just saw it there right next. I saw the sword land and then the finger and like the finger was the second thing that caught my eye in that moment. I was like, oh, nice. (laughs) Good, good work. Good work. Was the so that was another comment during that fight. The uh, that's a thief weapon. That's a thieves weapon. Talking about that. That. Yeah. The dagger. dagger. Mm -hmm. That seemed that seemed like something that I maybe didn't have enough background on potentially like does that come up in the games no i i think it's just more of a general thing like it it just is a like a dagger is a thieves weapon like that is so you are you're not really the priest that you're pretending to be to some degree like they are definitely priests but it's like your intents do not match the way that you are equipped Mm -hmm. it's kind of the the thought process that i have about thinking about that right 
Oh man, what a what a good what a good episode. And then I, I mean to talk. I, I do want to get into the speakers. We should definitely talk about them for a second. But I do want to mention, and I missed this even in episode one. The soundtrack in this rules. Like the soundtrack is so good. Yeah, so good. Reminds me of what we do for Kana a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, that soundtrack. Um, yeah, was great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's excellent. It's It's got the, it's sort of the pulsing synths that you want in the background. And it really just kind of, it, it feels like it should, there should be some dissonance between what you're seeing and what you're hearing. But I think it's just so well executed that despite the soundtrack not being medieval by any stretch, it still captures the tenor and the tone that you're seeing on screen. Yeah, yeah. The it's darkness. Like- it didn't it didn't stick out as out of place or mm-hmm. or resting at all. It it worked really well. Yeah. I agree. Sort of 80s synth, dark synth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of exactly what show I'm thinking of that has a similar soundtrack. I mean, you could say Stranger Things. You could say as as I made the joke of like Tales of Kana, you could say mm. the Dota Dragon's Blood, the first three seasons of Dragon's Blood has a very similar kind of style soundtrack. Does Donnie Darko have a has have a soundtrack kind of like that? Not exactly. It's not it's not synth in that way or in yeah, this way. Right. I should say it's been a while since I've seen that. Which is fun because another another like component or residue that was left from Castlevania in my brain is that this game and this series, especially some of the, like, they were originally a chiptune game, but they made the chiptune music sound really dark for only having the range that you do. Oh, interesting. And yeah, right? Isn't that crazy? Just the, the series of notes that they played made it sound dark. Love creativity from constraint. Like, you, mm-hmm. you can pull such cool things out working with, like, constraints and technology like that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's this is an entirely separate conversation, but that's the entire like benefit of horror to some degree inside of filmmaking is like a lot of technological innovation for filmmaking comes from the horror genre because they're always trying to push boundaries to like make cool things happen with less money. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was this is maybe just the smallest of side tangents. There was an article that I read that was like avatar way of water should be incredibly inspiring for filmmakers because they can, with a fraction of the budget, make a more impactful movie as like a horror movie, not, not like downplaying what way of water is, but the intent was like, this movie is so outrageously expensive that as you think about making your own movies as you're going forward, like you should, understand that with a fraction of the budget you can make an incredible movie as well it was it was just a very interesting article of like you don't need all the fancy toys to be like to do something really cool a second of how is how is that attributing inspiration from that movie that that seems like a backwards comparison It's, it's it's attributing it because it is one of the most expensive films made ever of, in all time. So uh, is, the, is the inspiration spite? a second of film is nine hundred dollars? No, it's not spite. It's like you can do more with less. Like you could you can absolutely do more with less. Yeah, but they didn't or as much. Like it's talking about in the future. I, like I, f- I know, future I know. Filmmakers. I just yeah. I don't understand why that it. would be a 
the I, I Avatar I, I, Way of Water should inspire a revolution in low budget FX. No, really. Uh, tap into that same mocap creativity without the mocap. Okay. I, I mean, I can't speak on it because I, I, I haven't think, seen the movie. I think movie the argument article, is that but... you could make this movie without the special effects and have it be just about as good of a movie, but not as like crazy mind melding. Like you could make a very good movie without the effects. Okay. Yeah, I, I should probably go see that. I haven't seen it yet either, but I mean, it just came out this week. So mm-hmm. brand new, but brand new. Maybe that's maybe that's a symposium. Yeah. So the one final thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, of course, is the other like back third of the episode almost is the Kodri speakers, the Kodri speakers. What do you think about their sort of storytelling and the way that this revives and the relationship with the Belmont family and Trevor's reaction and kind of promised what he's going to do for this? So, by the way, folks, we have no notes. I'm just saying this this time versus the way that we usually do it. I just can phrase it. There's a lot of exposition that happens and a lot of information dropped, which felt a little bit unnatural, but it is necessary, especially for someone like me who doesn't have background on on these characters. I don't know if they show up in the games, but not that big of a component in the games that I've played at the very least. Mm-hmm. Again, so uh, like, I have not played all 25 games, so I don't have, you know, right. I don't quite understand why. After learning that he is familiar with the speakers, they have to go through and explicitly say to him exactly what they're all about, other than to benefit us. So so for that reason, I wish there was a more natural way to get that information out, but it's fine. All things told, like we talked about, this it has to burn quickly in order to to fill up four episodes with as much content as possible while not leaving people in the dust. So I like these I, I like this sort of nomadic orator component of the of the story. It, I'm not quite sure what they're all about, other than just historical like record keeping and and um, almost monk like devotion to information. The obstinance against you like writing things down is flimsy i i I like that they addressed it and gave a reason that that word or history is living and paper is dead like it's nice that there's rationale i think that rationale kind of sucks but i I think that trevor also makes that clear he's like you guys are kind of bullshit like Yeah. yeah but overall yeah they're cool people i don't i'm still trying to to parse out trevor's motivations like i said before maybe he doesn't actually have personal beef with the speakers like they they had some some rubbing of noses with like between his father and and the speakers in the past but it wasn't like they conspired against them or ousted them like the rest of the population did so maybe he he feels a little bit of a bond to them or not a Mm -hmm. dislike of them and that paladin sort of mindset kicked in to make that promise Mm -hmm and try to protect them. I I think that's kind of what it is, is it that it is kind of defying expectations to some degree, right? It's defying, like it is following through on the sort of code of honors that the house Belmont has, right? And that's what he's kind of doing despite, you know, not fully being in it. He's, he's unwilling to separate from that moral base of his family. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, we got two more. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at the very least my favorite line, which is right from the end of this episode from one of the Conjury speakers. He says, it is not the dying that frightens us. It is living without ever, ever having done our best. And just a, I mean, classically intelligent little phrase to like throw back at him too while he's kind of turning away from whether or not he's going to do this for them or what he's going to do. Yeah, I I like that phrase. I think it makes sense. I don't. I, I think I could have. It could have been said a little bit better. Like instead of living without having done our best, but but rather dying without having done our best. No, 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 no. Never mind. Never mind. We're okay. Like like if they survive something, but they didn't. They didn't do everything they could have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. I, I misunderstood yep. it initially. We're good. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I understand exactly what you're going for. You were basically inverting the thing, which yeah. would also make it nonsensical versus what it's intending to say is that, you know, giving your all is is great. And if if that leads to your death, then that's fine, according to the speakers. But living without having done that or without like pursuing something to its fullest extent as you believe yeah. is not worth it at all. I mean, it, it's almost it's admonishing cowardice effect mm-hmm. yeah. entirely. Cowardice in all forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great way to end the episode. Also, the the like Trevor always being hungry throughout this episode and like getting the food from the vendor and then, you know, eating the lamb and like kind of chewing it and really morseling that and then like chasing down a drink but getting it water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then getting an apple and like chewing on that at the end as well. Yeah. So I, I feel like there was a cut scene speaking about when he got the meat. It felt like there was going to be some interaction between that woman and the coin as he was walking away like that like it looked like that coin had some sort of like symbol on it of some sort that was unique but it it got cut out i'm guessing i'm guessing there was a scene there like a brief one i i'm curious i do understand exactly what you're saying like zooming in on the coin and having having it have like the house belmont symbol or something like that on that yeah i am curious as to if that will just come up again as like a, the belmonts are still alive kind of a thing later because it does feel like it is that level of or layer of exposition i'm i'm definitely with you on that that was i i was on the same train mm-hmm. cool yeah before we start episode three i want to thank ragnar again because i love this story <laughs> <laughs> it's great right yeah yeah I'd only ever watched through this episode, so I'm very excited. I've watched, like, again, the first three minutes of the next one, which isn't that much by all means, but I'm very excited to continue. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we go into episode three, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. So there is a summary for this. We didn't read it for ne- Necropolis. Episode no, I two. did. Yeah. Oh, did you? I did. And okay. then I spilled the wine. Oh, yep, yep, yep. yep. Forgot about that. Yep. Okay, there we go. So episode three, Labyrinth. Belmont explores the catacombs of Greshit and makes a disturbing discovery. As night falls on the city, the beasts return for blood. I feel like that's a pretty succinct summary of what all happened. of these. Yeah, this this is a great 
I mean, like, A, this is an incredible episode, but B, this season focused on it in an entirely different direction than I expected it to. I don't know if you experienced that during this episode, but I really kind mm-hmm. of had an awakening for what the series was intending to talk about finally yeah, in I, this episode. I didn't. Based on the first episode, I didn't expect it to be so like internal and so not focused on like the the actual tangible threat to the city you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. not not only i assume you mean internal meaning like individual people to people conflict or you're saying like also for trevor individually well uh, there's that What, what i meant by that was internal like within the politics of the city itself yes yes okay yeah i i think i totally agree with you i was not expecting it to go in that direction either and i've been very pleased by the whole thing i i think that there's so much that i want to say about kind of what the series is saying now that we're on episode three out of four like there's no way we're getting to dracula and staking dracula inside of this episode no there's another season (laughs) yeah well there's there's four seasons in total. Oh, is there? So, okay. like, yeah, yeah. We aren't. We aren't even. We're just sponsored through the second. So that's that's what we're talking about. I'm but, absolutely gonna watch uh, through it. <laughs> like, I know. I know. I'm I'm in the same boat. Maybe maybe we'll just like release some bonus episodes down the line because this is a good time. But yeah, this episode is just so fucking good. Do we go linearly? I want to talk so badly about the dual the duality approach to like religion really being kind of the villain here not religion necessarily but people like there's a lot of derived power from religion in this context and in the state and that's fascinating because there's no actual power derived it is literally just the social influence of religion well it seems like uh, a both in the speakers over everything else as well like, like so, so yeah. like there is power as like there there's like governmental power too correct yes yeah. i i just also wanted to say like it's all like we're dealing with the supernatural and neither of the two religions or faiths, as you might call them, have any basis in the supernatural. Except neither the of them speakers. have any. The speakers don't really, though. They seem to maybe have some inclination, well, but nothing actually supernatural about them. Not right? not any of the ones that we're dealing with right now. But he does say it's that not, they like there are magic practitioners in, the, in, in their employ. Yeah. Right, or but we've tre- yet to see them. We we do have yet to see that. Yeah, it's not right, not at play right now. So, so for me, because it's not quite there yet, I I just can't help but compare the two, right? And sort of the the like bleak outlook versus a hopeful outlook for how you would combat this in a societal sense, in a social sense. And fuck, man, this episode rules. Yeah, yeah. I I think Dude. we're always going to be kind of tainted going forward by COVID. And like pandemic responses. Mm, That's a fair point. I kind of got that, not that vibe, but like that was definitely on my mind of like, how does a city and how does a, how does a country, how do, how do a people approach dealing with something that's less than like tangible? And it goes into in blaming. (laughs) It goes into fighting each other Mm -hmm. instead of actually addressing the root of the problem. Most of the time. Yeah. Great, great poll, because that is absolutely something to pick up. And this is from, you know, 2017. I can't imagine what the season from 2021 <laughs> is going for it in that realm mm. at this point. Man. Yeah. I, there, there is so much 
fascination here. The only, okay. So this is talking more about this format a little bit. And I just want to bring it up here. The only thing that I dislike about this format is that I can't go back and like try to rescan these things to take the time to really soak it in, to like talk about it super critically like I want to, which is why I don't think this format is overall a win, but it's really fun as an experiment in this case. Um, what do you mean by that? You can't go. So, back. well, we don't have time. Like we don't have time to go oh, back right oh, now. This format to, like, do isn't it right like our now. show. Like our, our, yes, our yes, episode, yes, 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 yes. Not, not, yeah. not the way that the show itself is built out, but the way that we are addressing this, because this is, this is an episode that I would probably comparatively, I do this with chapters all the time in the books that we read, but I'll read a chapter like two or three times. If it's something that I think is really important that I want to mm-hmm. get something out of and like pull it out. And this feels like that in episode format. Like yeah. this is that episode. There are very few episodes that we've ever done where I haven't consumed the material multiple times. I generally do twice as well, but sometimes yeah. specific chapters, I will just sit and luxuriate in them a couple of times to make sure I'm not missing something. The big trade off about is yeah. immediate fresh takes. Yes. Right. Like we are, hot off the presses like with this. we we don't quite have the ability to like really ruminate in the information and mm-hmm. distill our thoughts and and make connections over like multiple viewings but i i i, I think we're getting something else that we don't quite get in the yeah, main it's energy it's passion because yeah. we like it yeah yeah, yeah exactly right. yeah Okay, let's let's go sequentially here. Let's let's start to break it down. And then maybe we can kind of like culminate and talk about these thoughts because I I there's just so much that I love about this. So we start off this episode. We didn't really talk about this in the last episode, but the quest that he's agreed to do is get the body of the daughter and the so grandson. Like, to grand, what are you granddaughter? To? Was it the oh the grandson? Right, because distracting in the clothing and yeah. ends up being Sypha, of whom we'll talk about in a second. But ends up going down there to face this thing and there's this myth of the hero in the chamber and it's clearly there just to attract many warriors of whom have lost their lives and been frozen into stone by this cyclops and we quickly see a combat scene that dispatches the cyclops and he quickly turns into a biclops <laughs> dumb i wrote that joke <laughs> so the moment dumb. that he died i'd be cur- like i'm not convinced that there's nothing down there sure like, yeah like i i well, we know that it's Dracula's castle as it's exposed a That's little bit later. Like, it's too. not that there's nothing down there. It's that it is an entrance to Dracula's castle. Yeah. Before we get to the Cyclops fight, yeah. he goes into a mausoleum and seems mm-hmm. to kind of give reverence to the the casket. Um, mm-hmm. Or what is that called? The big stone thing within a mausoleum that probably holds the casket itself. Oh, I'm sure there's a name for it. I'm sure it's not casket, but effectively the the final rest, resting place of somebody yeah. that he seems to know. And I, I, right. I'm curious if this is a Belmont mausoleum. I didn't see his mm-hmm. sigil anywhere, but I wasn't really looking for it in the moment. But just the secret slide in entrance to the to the not to the bottom floor, the, the floor caves in twice for him and he gets to the floor he's supposed to go to. That but felt like a fun video game reference for the all record, of it, like, like falling through one. That was, all that of was this great. feels like a video game. It still does. I love it. It's a mm-hmm. very different vibe from most shows I've seen, though. 
Yeah. I it's it's interesting too because I I know that this show actually has very wide appeal. Like it is beloved to the point of where they did the first four seasons and that's the end of Castlevania and they're doing a spin-off show. Like this mm-hmm. is one of this is the most successful maybe second now, but the most successful original Netflix product from its origin. And so they're doing a whole spinoff because the four seasons were received so well. Um, that's awesome. The only one that's in competition or the only couple that are in competition are arcane, which is fucking incredible. Have you seen arcane yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just making sure. And uh, cyberpunk, which also blew up and did really well. And I, I liked, didn't realize that uh, came up. Not as much as I like this, but <laughs> I yeah. haven't heard cyberpunk anything is, about it. Oh, it, it blew up on the internet. It was a big deal for about a month and a half. Hmm. And I think it was really well received. Not only that, but at the same time, CD Projekt Red released DLC that basically immediately connected to the show. So you could build the builds and the looks of the characters on your characters, which was cool. And also, for the record, anyone at home who hasn't played it yet, Cyberpunk 2077 rules. Fuck you. Go play it. It's great. It's an open world cyberpunk game. They fixed all the glitches that were within like the week of launch. They, you know, have addressed a lot of the things. Just go play it. It's awesome. I still have a computer that is. You have to get through God of War first. Well, I mean, I have so many games, first of all, but my my hardware is just not. Yeah. Great. Your PS4 can play it technically. Yeah, I don't want to play it technically. Like, I that seems like a game that's so te- like so catered to amazing graphics. I played it on my PS5. It was stellar. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I know. I'm. How much right. older is the, the PS4 than the PS5? Six or seven years. Yeah, and I think my graphics card in my computer is about that much older as well. We got a 1070. I think that's the 2015 card, 2016 maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, my card is older than your card in my PC that I have from Bingham's. Bingham. I think it's a okay. 2016 card. Yeah, so it's the same. 2017. 2016, 2017. Depends on, I, w- I would have to look. I know that he built the PC in 2017, but I think he. I bet, I bet it has the same graphics card mine does. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I mean, fair enough, because it's been almost impossible to acquire since then. Anyway, backtracking to this this whole thing, I was just saying, like, this is a very successful show, and I think that the video gameness may be contained within a season to some degree, but I, I think they wanted to provide enough, like, payoff that made it feel like that without making it be over the top. I, it's something as simple as the move to, like, move, this is way later in the episode, but when the sleepers go down to the crypt, I was like... That's a fun nod to the Metrovania style of games where, like, you have to retread the ground that I'd mentioned earlier. Like, Mm -hmm. the perfect hiding spot is somewhere you've already been. And so, like, you as a player in the game, you typically have to piece that shit together. But just to, like, have that as, like, a nice... It's a subtle nod, but it was a good nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. PJ, there's not a term for that specific thing. It, It could be called an ossuary, but that's not necessarily the term. Yeah, that's as close as you can get. I looked. I looked for quite a bit. But regardless, the Cyclops fight, tons of fun. It's a it's a great little scene. Laser beams flying all over the place. Adds a little bit of fantasy to our otherwise very grounded world for the most part. I mean, we've spent 
we're dealing with vampires and other shit like that, but it does add a little bit of a fantasy flourish to the bottom of it to be like, oh, hey, here's this other thing. Yeah, I think I said out loud. I wasn't expecting lasers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it also gives background to Trevor and proves his knowledge of monsters like this. So that's cool. It's more exposition, but it's just a fun fight. <laughs> the It's yeah. funny where he's like, he sticks him in the in the heart with the sword and he's like just hoping done. that just he's just done. gonna like just die <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's again like it's it's such a good comedic moment from the character but that is also totally what happens in video games when you like nail the critical hit or like you nail something and you're like okay he's down right like this is the end before bosses had health pools and you just had to like mm-hmm. keep doing the thing until they fell over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's I, I wanna say it's Halo Infinite. Not not infinite, Halo 4, where they introduce mm. the Prometheans and their yeah. their headshots are not in their head. <laughs> like the, yeah, the headshot right, mechanic like is chest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of gave me that feeling of, oh mm-hmm. no, I have to hit them somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he does the complex whip move and then throws in the eye. And it's just, it's so, it's so great. I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. That leads us, though, to the unfreezing of the bodies around the room, which includes Sypha, of course, which we'll talk about in the moment. But we get the corpses as, like, the blood. It reanimates and, like, <laughs> falls out of them and they fall over variously. That's which so is good. It's kind of fun. It's a nice touch, you know? I'd be here, like, I, I'm, what if there was more people there that weren't? desecrated and dead like what if there was another frozen but alive person i honestly thought that someone was going to wake up and fight trevor in that moment like i thought one of those bodies is going to be like fully composed and like wake up and like just be swinging you know that was my thought i think we're not necessarily away from the possibility of somebody coming out and and speaking with the speakers sure yeah like if if something like that happens, I think that could be a good place to do it. But I was surprised that there was just no searching of the room as they were leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm with you there. Got to break all what the vases. Got to get all the coins. Yes, exactly. You got to search the room. You got to follow the left wall. Folks, if you play video games and you don't follow the left wall to its completion, you're not really playing the video game because you should end up where you started. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or at the end of the dungeon, one or the other. Yeah. Man, we should play Diablo after this. <laughs> I, I was texting Edwin the other day. The Great reference. There you go, Edwin. There's your shout out. But yeah, this is definitely an Edwin moment. Yeah. Yeah, we should yeah. we should reach out to him again. I, I talked to him a while yeah. back. Anyway, oh yeah, I talk to him like weekly at this point. Every time I'm in the BattleNet app, he harasses me, which is every <laughs> time I have to edit a show because I'll play Hearthstone or something. Mm. So <laughs> it's it's weekly, but as it goes. But what do you think of Sypha? What was what was your introduction? Your thought on her and sort of that extra layer on the speakers disguising their women as boys. Boys. I took it at face value initially mm-hmm. of this this person being the grandson because I didn't see a reason for for the speaker the 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 head speaker to lie mm-hmm. about that and say grandson and maybe it was just uh 
compulsive kind of force of habit act. Yeah. But when she first comes on screen, I'm like, that's a very feminine boy. (laughs) 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 But I hadn't considered that it was just, she's a girl. She seems to have her head in the right place. She seems very level headed and understands what she's doing and the oaths yeah. that she's made and and their actual reasoning behind everything as opposed to just doctrine, you know? Yeah, right. She seems like totally a great character. I'm, I'm very excited for where she's going to go because obviously I this, again, four episodes, right? Like what can Sypha seriously contribute going into the last episode? Something, I'm sure. And I, I don't want to downplay that. I, I think that she will contribute something. But I think in terms of the long-term story arc, she will be much, much, much more important in terms of where it's going to go. Yeah. Worth noting, I don't think she's a video game character. I don't remember hmm. her by name or otherwise. So Okay. Well. And again... I, I didn't say this at the top because I hadn't fully explained. This series contains bits of uh, it predominantly focuses on Castlevania three Dracula's something or other. I, I can't remember the precise name, but Dracula's something or other uh, and adds in components of symphony of night as kind of the primary telling of the story. So symphony I've played and I know the story of Castlevania three because it's kind of one of those things I, I, it, it's so fascinating to me just talking in a general process, PJ, you don't have, like, you didn't know any of these names going in outside of Dracula, but like, I have some like weird cultural awareness that I know all of the names for Castlevania, despite only playing like two or three games. And I don't know what to attribute that to. Like, I it's not like I'm nerdier than you are, but maybe it's just that I'm in a different nerd circle than you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know I can't say the names because they're going to be coming up, but I know all of these character names that I want. Like, okay, here's one that I doubt comes up in the show. Richter is a, is a classic Richter Belmont is a classic character from Castlevania. And uh, he's a character in super smash brothers. You know, like I know that most of the characters that are in the show, including one that's gone unnamed are, are smash trophies in the last three super smash brothers games is this owned I, I, by I, i'm Nintendo? trying to attribute it to no it's it's a it's a capcom game i believe originally so published on nintendo but not published by nintendo predominantly gotcha. restricted to those systems but symphony of night was a ps2 game or playstation game one or the other i think it was playstation one yeah yeah i i don't think i have an aversion to like researching things when it comes to like series that I haven't interacted with, but yeah, there's always that sort of be careful of spoilers sort of itch in my mind that I, I, I but don't mean this is old school. I know like, this I, is like I, my youth. It's still the degree. same. Sure. Like, okay. You just had it. You had that bug earlier than I did. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just would avoid Hmm. information on things that I haven't actually consumed. Sure. That makes sense. I, I, it's just one of those things where it's like, I feel like I have more, we'll put it this way, cultural awareness on these kind of things, if that makes sense. But like, I haven't universally experienced them. It's just always funny when we run into them. Like I have, 
I don't know if you've ran into the side of YouTube ever, but there's like a totally experiential side of YouTube where, you know, some people it's like their first exposure to movies or TV shows or games or whatever. But there is this other side. And of course, this is the one that gets hits me is a music like people listening to a song for the first time. And I just have such a hard time believing these people every single fucking time they record a video. My I am like, dad gets into those. Cause there there's, I, there's a series that like go over classic rock songs. Um, yeah. Right. I have zero interest in that. <laughs> like I, I have zero faith that they're real. Well, like that's always been my thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, I don't know. Yeah. That that was a side tangent to explain like my, like I understand and I believe that you don't have these experiences, but for an outsider, because obviously I'm your friend, I've known you your entire life, but for like an outsider, it's like, how don't you know, you know, Trevor Belmont's name or Richter or X character that I'm not going to name of whom is the number one most known character in all of Castlevania. You know, there's, there are just a couple that are like. Must have we, know. Have we met them? Yeah, yeah, we have. You just don't know the name. Who? Which character? Good old Silver Hair. Ah, gotcha. Okay, yeah. We'll get back there eventually, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great example. Like immediately, my cultural like a played him in an entire game. Yeah. Yes, the Thrupple <laughs> character. Yeah, as you say. Yeah, that's that's just an example. Okay, we've so much more to talk about inside okay. of this episode. Okay, uh, okay, so let's keep going. <laughs> Yeah, Trevor cannot be summoned into the, or like, rather is is called into the church despite being excommunicated by this bishop, showing that really what's so fascinating is like he is, as he's talking with these people that are trying to bring him in, he's like, oh, I'm going to be smited by God. You don't want to do that. Where clearly he doesn't believe that any of that is going to happen. And also there's some like awareness from the bishop in the back of my mind that like the bishop knows that none of that is going to happen because it's not the reality of what God is in this universe. God, I mean, I believe fundamentally inside of Castlevania so far as it's been presented that God doesn't actually exist or at the very least is not, doesn't give a shit about the established religion that is seemingly Mm. worshiping him. Right. I, I felt like it was, Trevor was more leaning into it as a convenient protection from actually confronting me. Right. Leave me alone, you know. Um, I'm just thinking about the meta text a little bit. Yeah. Like a little bit. Like the context of. Is there anything like in the realm of excommunication with Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church, for example, is there anything connotating like an actual spiritual connection to it yes i cannot remember the term i mean i tried to get excommunicated but when i was a kid what's up i tried to get excommunicated sorry i'm just double checking here i mean especially as it surrounds like the sort of general i i find it so interesting obviously the uh, central myth of Dracula focuses very closely on the relationship to the church because that's where a lot of kind of the weaknesses of Dracula comes from is from religion and whether or not those are real or not. But that's why I think that this show plays into it so well in so much is that it's showing it's showing the other side wherein the power of the cross, the cross doesn't seem to hold any power over Dracula 
outside of its literal representation of the force and will of the people as it's manifested by the the mind control of religion in these moments right yeah they they do make a pretty glaring point in that first episode to like show him looking at the cross that the the old woman is carrying and just not having any sort of reaction to it mhm yeah and and also like him making the joke about garlic in the beginning and she, she being like I think I ate roasted garlic but like that wasn't and it kind of puts all those wives tales to bed all at right. once yeah and treats them like wives tales mhm did he show up in the mirrors in those shards of mirrors that were like circling in episode yeah one? there's a question of whether or not those are legit mirrors or not but yeah we'll see we'll see mm-hmm. what that looks like PJ, there is so much on excommunication and banishment that I can't break it down easily. That said, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we can we can answer the question on excommunication as, yeah, there's a lot of like extra, especially in the Catholic faith, there's a lot of like extra problems in theory that go on with you as a person who's been excommunicated in theory on a spiritual level by God and as you approach the houses of the Lord variously gotcha yeah so well i they think that's kind of that's what he's my into. petition so i have not been excommunication communicated technically well there you go choose <laughs> choose to hedging uh, hedging. <laughs> hedging or hedging which one i said i said hedging oh <laughs> i mean edging is good too cheers <laughs> Cross and Shaw, edging is good. The Lord, the hey, Lord of edging, the Edge Lord Cross and Shaw. Don't fuck up the quote. It was edging is good too. All right, but I, I I love that the bishop is requiring him to leave for his own religious reasons as a heretic, and I think that that's fascinating because religion isn't actually a power in the sphere as we stare it down in the story. Like the he he wants to get rid of the speakers without any real basis of any of this. Like he is. He is seeking directly power and is getting rid of any other sources of power and doesn't actually care about protecting the mass of people. Like it's entirely about acquiring power for our bishop in this moment and in this story. It's so well done. Yeah. Further comment of you're not from around here, are you? Mm-hmm. And he says no, but then they kind of leave it at that. That That's still further like what is this person is this a person as i mm. talked about from episode one or oh two? whether or not the bishop is real yeah because he's from treva gosta treva mm. he's from that t city that t named city yeah yeah but for for trevor to be able to pick that out mm-hmm. just on looks initially like maybe that maybe there's something I think it's based on accent. I to me like oh that could that, be. that's one of the interesting things that the show does as well as it plays around with the accent pretty significantly. And that's also another reason that Ikea and Decipher is very fascinating because she's got almost a, a Spanish accent on top of what is otherwise mostly regional southeastern European. Yeah, that's true. Or maybe central eastern, not southeastern. Yeah. I don't know the difference. Turkey versus north of Turkey. Whether or not you're on the coast, basically, is the difference that I'm thinking of. But Gotcha. 
it's a Russian influence on the language versus Arabic influence on the language and the sounds of things. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm soaked in, in like trying to consider Saifa's importance in the story. Very excited. Yeah, me too. To think about that, especially with the, the accent difference. She's a very well drawn character as well. Uh, mm. <laughs> PJ, about Trevor, now that we're into this third episode, any any characters or people that he reminds you of immediately? Anyone in fiction or anything else that uh, truly I, I already mentioned it, but Blaskovich from oh, Wolfenstein. Yeah. yeah. BJ. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just the the mannerisms and the muttering and the sort of begrudging paladin sort of outlook it's it's very reminiscent for me i would agree it's definitely machine games-esque bj blaskovitz for sure i, I it, it is Blask blaskovich blaskovich what's the i believe it's blaskovich but okay yeah. what's his first name it's bj right john i think it is john yeah right i think it's john <laughs> Jan. no wait what fuck like j-a-n william it's bill it's bill oh yeah yeah where's the j come william from? so william bj blaskovitz oh so it's okay yeah okay yeah so he's got a bill middle name bill yon it is his middle name is john but with an a so yeah yon. given a given a polish origin which it which makes sense especially for the story well in american polish but you know. mm -hmm. what do you have uh, commentary on similarities between other other fictional characters? Yes. So if you want to talk about the visual appearance and everything else, I mean, I already mentioned Jon Snow is kind of mm -hmm. a, I think, a larger reference point for a lot of people, especially in the initial appearance. But if you look at the hair and other things like that, he looks so similar to Leon Squallheart from Final Fantasy VIII and is just very reminiscent, even including the quote, the cloak, although maybe not as dramatic. It is very, very, very Final Fantasy VIII. And there's nothing wrong with that. It was just something that like I keyed into, especially in this one. Final Fantasy is another total blind spot for me. So. I know, I know. Do you know who Cloud is? I think Cloud's in one of the Super Smash Bros. games. He is. He's... That's all I know. <laughs> He's in the top 10 most recognizable video game characters of all time. And you barely you don't even know who he is. I couldn't uh, I couldn't tell you what he looks like right now. Yeah. He's got a sword. He's got like a big sword. I think he's got a right? real big sword. Yeah. 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 The buster sword, which I think is I know it's not how it's described, but that's how I imagine Vin with the Coloss sword. <laughs> It is fairly similar. That's also how I imagine Vin with the Colossus Sword. Yeah. Okay. We got to round out the end of this episode because right. <laughs> I, I do I do love talking about this, but you know this one's been running forty minutes <laughs> compared to the other ones, which is twenty. But it's a it it is it's not that it's a better episode. This is just where everything kind of comes to roost finally. I mean, we're only t it's only four episodes, right? But we finally have something substantive beyond character building and setting things up to talk about and kind of starting to get some of the weightiness and themes of the series in this episode. But this whole scene with the churchman, the bishop, of course, feeds into the seekers pushing back against this religion's war is this madman's war as they cite. And it seems as though 
Trevor, and like I didn't necessarily believe this, it's kind of a little bit of a fake out, but it seems as though Trevor is going to try to force them out of the city or potentially kill them if they decide not to leave. We already know that they're not going to leave, and so he forces them into the basement, as we understand, which is this great shocking reveal when the peasants of the city finally break in, the mob of the city finally breaks in, kind of who's where's Johnny style. Um, yeah, and I was surprised style. by how I mean, it's technically after the sun started setting. Like, I assumed mm-hmm. it would have come before the scene where we see the uh, the creatures waking up and, and making their move. But that comes first. Like, the sun's mm-hmm. setting, they start moving, and then the villagers break into the the city people. They're, it's it's a large city. <laughs> They're not villagers. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. And... I, I just I love I love that little note little moment. I, I think that it's great as he's like just standing there and then he tries to talk them down. I think that's the one thing that I really appreciate about this depiction of Trevor is that like he doesn't want to fight like he wants to fight the urge to fight at every turn and does not want to shed blood, which I think is so great, especially when contrasted against the series portraying hyper violence is that he doesn't want it to go that way ever. And then when it does, that's just the reality of the situation, which I love. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a well, like it's a deep character already. Yeah, with so little exposure to to who he is. Yeah, I mean, we've had forty minutes at most of screen time with him at this yeah. point. Yeah, two two episodes. So. Yeah, he sheds the cloak finally, that that Jon Snow cloak, and we get to see him in kind of like a regular sort of almost fencing outfit of sorts. I I think that's really cool because he's still not wearing a like full chain mail or anything like that. He's still very adept at keeping people at a distance, and it's it's just excellent. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I do really appreciate, again, the reiteration when he's fighting the the churchmen that are attacking him, including the one-eyed priest from earlier, that they all pull out the daggers again, again, equating the priesthood and sort of religion in general to thieves yeah. by, by pointing at the daggers and, and making them out to be this sort of thieving, conniving group of people. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you knew it was going to happen as soon as you started seeing archery fire. That he was going <laughs> to yeah, use, use right. him as a meat shield. But it was pretty satisfying mm-hmm. for it to go through the other eye. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> and like just brought that brought that like little micro arc to a satisfying close, which in all honesty, I think a lot of shows. Will be like, kill that guy because he's just a disposable pawn. But every time that we've seen him in each subsequent scene, it's been like, oh, you're the guy that he blinded and you're still choosing to follow through and follow the faith despite like being confronted directly with something that's telling you not to. It just shows kind of the blind will of, of these, the, the penitent quote. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I, in summation, love that the vileness that like the vileness is the cause of this season And it seems to be Dracula's vileness of deciding finally after a year of warning to push against the people who should not be inhabiting this region because they killed his wife. But it's not that it's a supernatural vileness, but that in the end, 
the evil of the season is from humanity itself. And it is it is not only the evil that killed the wife to begin with, but it is the continual crux in which it continues to persecute itself. And you at at the end of this episode, I can kind of empathize with Dracula's position, if not sympathize with I, I rather I can sympathize with Dracula's position, but I cannot empathize with his pain. Like yeah. because the people are bad as we're seeing. So, you know, and they're not changing. They're not adapting to information. They're not, no, but ha- you know, what, not everyone's tr- what tools bad. do they have to adapt though? The people well, are, are thing. strictly being fed information that they're following. Like, yeah, there's so little you're- opportunity for alternative thoughts to thrive. So, like, how how could they be expected to push against what, like, the only thing that they're being told, you know? But that's what the sleepers represent, right? Like, that's the entire point of the sleepers is that they're supposed to represent the, the speakers. Dissident opinion. Speakers, sorry. Yep. Yes. I, yep. Sleepers. <laughs> speakers. That's what the speakers are supposed to represent is that dissident opinion and, mm-hmm. and, like, be that pushing against, pushing back against the power, as it were, as it's established. So, yeah, like, 12 people against an entire fucking theocratical government. Yes. That is right. telling the people that they're the problem. Like that, which is also, yep, yep. you're, you're it, right. It's, it's just hard to overcome that discrepancy. I am so with you on this. I, I totally, I totally understand and can, uh, can meet you there. But I also want to add that the discrepancy is kind of textured by a couple of different elements, right? So, like, Dracula is is doing the wrong thing. We can all agree that, like, the genocide of the people is a bad idea. It's a bad thing to kill all these people, despite what, they, what the church has done is wrong to him. He's uniformly treating them because they're in what is his ancestral land as, you know, outsiders, and so I'm going to kill you all because you're outsiders. Uh, that's bad, and our silver-haired man agrees that that is very bad, and so is attempting to stop him as sort of the... We we talked about moral paladins. That character feels like the moral paladin more than anyone else. Like, this is an incorrect thing that you're doing, despite us both feeling the same kind of pain from that first episode. And we're instead seeing the other side of that unfold, which is that no one is particularly paying attention or gives a shit. And so, like, those in the theocratic positions do deserve the punishment that is coming for them. But we hope, like... The the judgment still doesn't feel right coming from Dracula because he just feels like a person. So it, this is so tough to grapple with immediately without a little bit more basis. So I'm going to try to come to terms with this in the next episode. I think that's going to be my game to mm-hmm. like come to, to try to grapple with this because that's kind of the, the core question for me right now is Dracula is right in his pain, wrong in his approach. Our gray-haired friend is right in stopping him or trying to stop him in that moment. Obviously, he doesn't succeed. That's kind of the end-all, be-all, but at the very least, someone stood up to him. Trevor is standing up for the little guys of whom aren't the government, and the theocratic government is an establishment that is incorrect and persecuting its own kind, believing that that, and also lying that that is going to solve the problem 
for the entire population. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to contend with going into this last episode. Yeah, there's. A I'm so excited, man. I, I loved this episode. I'm really pumped. All right. <sighs> should we, Ready should we get into four? it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. And just like that, we've concluded season one of Castlevania. PJ, do you want to read this last synopsis or shall I? I already closed out. All right. All right. I'll pull it up. I got you. All right. So we are talking about episode four and monument and and just some like general series thoughts are going to be kind of the way that we round this out. But in the rather, I say series, some season thoughts. In the season finale, Belmont strives to save Greshit from certain doom and comes face to face with a shocking truth, which is a fun way of kind of underplaying a lot of those things if you're reading it. Honestly, I, I've been shocked by these summaries. They do these, a great job of teasing without spoiling. Not only teasing, but it very clearly allows you to go back and like choose the episode you're looking for without mm-hmm. actually spoiling people that haven't seen it. Yeah incredibly like, informative yeah but only retroactively mm-hmm. yeah yeah they're funny funny enough i i know someone who wrote these for a period of time not for netflix but for a different streaming platform and it's a nightmare to try to like summarize something like this in that amount of characters because there's actually a character limit I, I want to say it's 160 that they have to stick to or like 180 that they have to stick to as a format. And that's just nightmarish to get into description sometimes. Which, um, I mean, it makes sense based on the the format of the platform and how it shows these synopses. Right. Oh, it, it totally makes sense. It's just very difficult to do. And especially like seeing something like this, it's like there's an elegance in this being well executed. Like when it works, it works great. But I'm assuming they can't lean on the the tried and true Twitter shorthand of using the letter U instead of Y-O-U. Like definitely not. You can't you can't also speech it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like you're, you're talking about like a tweet worth to like convey an entire you know, 22 minute episode that probably took hundreds of hours of work on a bunch of different people's fronts and and plays into other episodes and you can't spoil things going forward and you can't like, right. There, there are so many constraints there and that's really, really impressive. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's talk about monument monument is a great episode. I think all in all, I don't like it as much as I liked episode three. I think episode three stands out as my favorite, but then I again, so this too. is just comparing episodes. But it does man. introduce I, it's, at it's the very end. It's hard to beat episode one. The character that I've been hinting at and playing with the whole time, which is Alucard, of whom is the main character for mm-hmm. a lot of Castlevania. One of them, along with a number of different Belmonts, of whom are also main characters. But Alucard is, if not the central primary protagonist the second most important character behind the Belmont family line as one stretch of characters. Okay. So, Fair enough. Yeah. 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 He's 
super cool. And this is the the silver haired person from episode. Yeah, one. I said I'm I assuming. said silver because that's the way the lighting that's blew what it, it out. That's but what it looked like. There. He is he is silver haired in Symphony of Night and like or rather on the cover. And then I think he's blonde in the game itself. But somewhere between you know that spectrum of mm-hmm. hair color. Moonlight does shit to people's hair. We'll go with that <laughs> as a, as an explanation. Yeah. Fighting your dad does that to your hair, you know? Yeah, that that's it. That's what it is. That's it's, it. It's, it's for sure. Getting it. into a fist fight with your dad turns your hair silver. <laughs> Canonically. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we, we're skipping around a little bit here, but talking about the episode itself, I love the way that this opens with kind of the beautiful portraits of the cathedral and kind of cutting in and the way the light spreads around the room. And then we cut from behind and we see the demons start to like walking in and they're like almost filling in the pews as you see them like start to appear in places, which just feels great to me. And then the that central blue eyed demon that we deal with in the end who goes unnamed uh, is just central and ultimately you know has this great line about like if it weren't for you we would have never existed which is to say that like dracula was content had you not have like stepped forward so we would have never been here to do the slaughter if it weren't for you and we appreciate you which just conveys a difference between the armies of hell and dracula's intent like there it puts two different spins on the approach for me, it also changes the of what Dracula did. He didn't mm. like call upon an existing army. He literally created these these characters, these these warriors. Like they they would not have existed otherwise. So like they they were spawned from this. They calling. wouldn't have existed on this plane. But yeah, I I understand what you what you, well what you're getting at what is am i misunderstanding what he was getting at because he made it seem like his his existence is dependent on the existence of the bishop not not just his presence here but his existence like we would not have existed if not for you hmm Tough to clarify. I, I don't know that there's something that we're ever going to get an answer on. I might be like that misremembering on. that quote. Um, like, I, I'll, I'll, might- I'll lean your direction. I just saw it as like a more of a like a, they were summoned there more or less like not a they didn't exist beforehand mm-hmm. thing. Did he say we wouldn't have existed or we wouldn't be here? I couldn't tell you. I think it was be remember. here, but I you know again this here comes is down a to very a, different connotation from what i'm thinking and it ultimately doesn't really matter right right like that's a very minor thing but yeah this this really it feels it feels like a very strong moment i'm double checking just for the sake of it because i'm curious on the language it's also this this episode is also interesting because the they they both like the episode both denounces God in some ways and sort of the general ways that demons may, but then also acknowledges that some of those practices are actually legit. Like the holy water thing is actually legit and the salt is legit. So like not all of the, the rumors around the way that you fight demons are incorrect, but some of them are just, you know, wives tales to some degree. Yeah, I, I, it's more the building of reality into folklore into religious practices like Mm -hmm. those build and there there are things built upon 
there, there's bullshit bit built upon truth sometimes. Like, I, I think that's kind of where it's like, it, it's flourishing yes. and it is, mm-hmm. it is extravagance and it is more than what it needs to be, but there's still truth. There. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting because the, the demon that's interrogating him, the six eyed blue eyed demon also is saying things along the line. And I know that you're not watching it with subtitles, but this is, I, I think, a subtle clarification to add. All of the he and hises are capitalized referring to God. And so it's this extra layer of acknowledgement saying that, like, God exists. And there's one line that the demon says, which is like, he would, it's something in the realm of like, he would puke if he knew what you did or what you've done. It, and that's it, your, your actions it, it make just, him puke. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Your your actions make him puke. And that's just like another subtle and incredible admonishment, especially from a demon to be like, A, God exists. That's totally fine. He's kind of a chill dude, I guess. But like, B, we're kind of opposed. But also, like, you're not that good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, encompasses and like, all of those things at once. Your, your practices aren't really for him. But right. then again, somebody coming from hell, it makes sense that there's kind of the counterpart. Mm-hmm. Like the existence of hell doesn't necessarily connotate the existence of a positive influence. Well, it's but it's it, also it kind of implies it too. Yeah, it's also acknowledging that God exists, but He doesn't give a shit about your construct. Like He 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 does not believe in your churches. I, I think that that's one of the, another line that the demon said is like lying in your house of God, like your house of God, specifically not his house, because it's your house to praise him. And you are, you are immediately butting up against your own religion by lying in this moment mm-hmm. as the Bishop of, you know, Jesser shit. Yeah. Yeah. We love you. Sorry. We couldn't be here without you. Yeah. I'll so it's, we here. couldn't be here without you. Yeah, so I, I think I think that they're summoned. Needless to say, that makes but that makes sense. I I think either way, it kind of hits the same notes, right? It's just about the nuance of like which which direction those spin. So it, I I don't think it matters or changes it that dramatically. But they exist, and I think that is also great because it feeds back into this. I don't want to say like necessarily heaven and hell, but like God and hell to some degree. Plane that we've come to begin to understand is that these are both very real concepts in the world. Although there's a group of people that pretend to understand them to like put it out to the masses. And then the demons have the best understanding of God of anyone. I think that makes sense though. It does. It totally makes sense. It's beautiful in its simplicity Mm -hmm. in that way. I I love it. And I I love the moment where he like comes over the podium and he's like, I'm not going to kill you immediately, but he's like, I want to kiss you. And we know that's the kiss of death in its own right. But like, it's still this, it's this gradual creeping that is going to end in his demise as he chews him, you know, to death. But it's also this love that like, he's gotten the opportunity to be there in the first place and to be free and to be let go. Right. God damn. It's a it's a good opening minute. Like that is a crazy opening minute. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It it goes philosophically quick, it's charged. So good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What to say? What to say? I love that. We then return to I almost call him Alucard. Trevor fighting for and against fighting for the speakers and against the population, the mob that's begun to form 
to push against the speakers that are are, are in there in theory to kill them. And he begins to push against them. Uh, shows up and Sofrena, right? I'm not Cypher? losing my mind. Cypher. Oh my god, I mixed. I mixed Cypher and Silfrena. And Silfrena is a character from Stormlight. My bad. Uh, Cypher pushes against by like summoning these walls of fire and like making this really dramatic statement as a mage, which we had talked about in the last episode. Like, but do they really? <laughs> and it turns out. Okay, yeah, they really. <laughs> yeah. Um, why didn't they just fly though? The beasts. Great question. I flying doesn't solve the spear problem, right? Like it does solve the wall problem, though. It solves the wall. So the like it still puts you in an angle, but like <sighs> flying creatures lose to spears. That's just the rule. <laughs> Fair. Good point. <laughs> I mean, if you if you sweep down, like a spear is going to get you. In a number of other games, bows and spears are the two losers for for spears. But so, I wish that was addressed. I, I, it's fine. It's fine. It's whatever. But if they had decided to pull the walls even closer, so it's like it's not wide enough to spread your wings. Mm-hmm. That would have made sense to me. <laughs> Like that yeah, would have made I, sense of all of this. It's fine. It, it it's appeared, fine. It's the tiniest of complaints. But it's like, why don't they just fly out of this fucking thing? It appeared in one scene like it was bending up over them and then it cut to a different one and it was a much wider open with like the back closing. So like I, I hand signaled this to you when you had made mention of this, but you were like, you went like, why aren't they closing? And I was like, well, it looks like it is over top. And then it it cuts to a different angle on it and she just closed the back and I was like, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to cut off the top angle so that they can't like you don't need to close it and make it a full dome. You just need to make it uncomfortable enough so that if they chose to go out, they could easily be stabbed. You know, like if they tried to like yeah. fight their way through, they're vulnerable on the underbelly. But I mean, small, small thing, small yeah. gripe. Again, small potatoes not really impactful but it's it's real so can't help but acknowledge but i i also had the same thought in that moment and i was like trying to pin it out i was like well it seems like nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right but it also gives weight that same scene gives weight to religion again where consecrating the holy water one of the priests does and like throws that on the ground and they constantly use that they throw the salt we get the big hero moment of course watching these from from our boy trevor belmont let it be known it is so hard for me to say that trevor is a hero not because he's ever a villain but because for all of the games that i played it was a alucard and so my brain just wants to default to alucard <laughs> like yeah. my brain just wants to say alucard every single time and um, like he he's I, I don't think so far as like an anti-hero no no but no. he he's definitely not not a hero at this point yet like right. he's kind of getting there but he he's almost more of a it's like a mercenary almost yeah like he's got that attitude to him yeah exactly a reluctant mercenary hero mm-hmm. yeah but when he does that ultimately it works the salt works of course on the demons as it would and we kind of resolve that conflict but then we get back to like the heart of the conflict well, which is before we the get people. there like as far sure. as the salt goes does that mean we don't get any like aquatic 
oceanographic demons coming out from like a sub like not subterranean a deep ocean portal or something like that that's so common to see that's so in christian adjacent ideology that's not common at all likely for those very reasons okay which i would call this i mean obviously it's christianity adjacent like the entirety of dracula's origins are right Mm -hmm. are tied basically intrinsically Um, the unholy yeah yeah that said like demons from the ocean i think in part is because of that like deep unknown right and so that's why they're tied more or Mm -hmm. less in in a lot of history but for christianity for the most part i mean there aren't a whole lot of ocean demons okay there should Uh, be but a lot of a lot of the demonology that everyone talks about people like point to with with christianity as well as more related to Dante's Inferno than it is to anything else. Like it's mm-hmm. totally related to him yeah. riffing on the idea of religion to begin with. And it just so happens that the entire Catholic faith went, that's true and adopted it, <laughs> which is amazing. So. That's hilarious. Dude, Imagine yeah, somebody writing something today. So brilliant, so brilliant that everyone was like, that's real. No, but like, just put it into the realm of sci-fi. Sure. So, some sci-fi writer some, some writes something that's vaguely like tied to Christianity. And the Pope's mm-hmm. just like, yep, that's doctrine now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got like spacefaring demons and angels. I mean, if you want to get into it, that's like Scientology. Or... Uh, yeah. In it for a different sect of the market. All right. So moving on, we were talking about the we were just pre talking about the interaction that happens between the kind of right hand of the bishop of whom died in the beginning and the face off that he has with Trevor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that that ring of fire. Yes. Oh, I guess this is before the demons, right? Yeah. Is that before the demons? I thought it was after the demons. Oh, shit. Okay. I got my chronology all wrong. That happens before the demons. Oh, yeah, because then he rallies them to fight the demons. Fuck, I fucked up. Yep. You're totally right. You're it's totally it's right. pretty quick. It's a it's a very fast yeah. turnaround. But Sypha creates that ring of fire around him and then the path yeah. to get to her. And then he's able to speak and rally yeah. everybody. And then the demons show up. Right. Which is... A great moment. I, I really I really think that the show off or the, the moment between him and the priest is a fant- or rather is a priest. But hi- between him and the priest is a fantastic one that kind of rounds out this whole arc from this guy that we've actually seen since episode one being kind of the right hand of the bishop and playing the part of the kind of feet on the street um, for him. So it's great to see that like this sort of downing of faith and the peasantry again being like kind of taught that this is that they've been led astray to begin with. Like Mm -hmm. it's not that it's, it's funny because it's like, it's not that God isn't real. It's that you've been manipulated by your concept of what God is, which again is functionally very interesting versus the demons of whom say that God is real, but say that you've totally fucked this all up. I felt like beyond that, but yeah. Just what got the biggest crowd reaction was not to do with anything spiritual in general, but the fact that he pointed out that all of the priests were also wielding daggers. Yes. Right. Like, 
Yeah, that it's, got the biggest crowd reaction. It's the human aspect right. of it that gets the people kind of on board with him. It's not. Isn't it's not about the spirituality because, like, these are their spiritual right. leaders. But breaking that down and pointing out what they're doing in a human way that gets them riled up. You're you're so right, and isn't that so? blissfully painfully ironic in its own right where it's like you should be evaluating the way that these people behave in a spiritual context not just in what they physically present like they're but there's always there's there's a great level of commentary there you know what i mean like there's a great level of commentary of that dissonance between like you should have been able to see the religious differences that like they were just embodying the falsities but also now that you see the yeah. physicality of this, you're just reacting to the physicality. I mean, th- there's kind of the veil of superiority that comes yes. into play here where like, right. They default to these people for their spirituality and, and mm-hmm. for their knowledge of this, uh, of God and of religion. So it's hard to like scrutinize what they do in mm-hmm. that realm, but it's easy to scrutinize what they do in the human realm. Yeah. Right. Because they're all people and like, they're, they're not taking direction from them on the, on the people side of things. Yeah. Oh, it's very well done. I really loved that it part is. of this. Yeah. I, I think it was brilliantly well executed, especially like, this entire show this entire first season does such a good job interweaving these character stories and introductions for the most part it's it's tough to call these these four episodes a season of tv it feels like a prologue we got a prologue an extended prologue that does have resolution like it does resolve things on the whole for the season arc so it does feel good but it does feel like an introduction to everyone um, yeah, so I, if they didn't get a second season, I would feel robbed. I would feel absolutely robbed. I think they knew they had something good. Yeah. And they knew they could leave on a like leave this on a cliffhanger and be confident that people would accept it and and receive it well and get renewed. Like I I, I yeah. really like it's some balls, especially considering Netflix, but this is early enough, I guess, in Netflix's kind of foray into animation in anime specifically was kind of the styling that they were going for that you don't you don't see the well we've got to make this a kind of standalone season because odds are we're going to get canceled regardless of how well we do yeah this feels this feels before that and it feels like they took a very big risk in basically doing a half season that's intended Mm -hmm. to be followed up right yeah and that's evident all over the place like i i love i love the way that this also gradually bleeds the character introductions in that are clearly going to be important i mean episode one focuses on dracula episode two trevor but episode one also introduces alucard but we don't know that yet it gives us a nice tease and then episode two focuses on trevor begins to introduce sif and then we see Sif show up formally in three when rescued. And then it all yeah. closes together with all the characters, including the final introduction of Alucard in four. I wish we got more Dracula 
and I know, I know that's a point. Could not agree more. I could not agree more. Um, I for loved that, reason, that portrayal. Episode so one, I think, is still my favorite of the four. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I can totally get that. I, yeah. Graham McTavish kills it as Dracula. He's a perfect, perfect Dracula. So good. To draw the comparison to Vox Machina again. Very, very, like, great comparison between Dracula and Silas. Yeah. Like, like very different kind of vampire portrayals, but that sort of demeanor of this, like, large, imposing, confident, intelligent person. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, probably pretty true throughout most vampire depictions, but the fact that they're both animated, animated in a very similar style, I guess is maybe where I draw the connection more directly. Hey, that's totally fair. I did want to say that Graham McTavish, I'm sure you recognize, well, maybe you didn't, but I'm sure if you saw his face, you would recognize him. He plays the, from House of the Dragon, he plays the Kingsguard leader, the bald-headed dude. Mm-hmm. That's him. Same guy. Yeah. Yeah, plays Vlad. Very so. well done. Mm-hmm. Incredibly well done. Oh, yeah. I made mention of, I, I know that I did this incorrectly and I'm, I'm aware and I'm going to try to correct myself right now. I made comment that it's it was Nolan North. I know that Nolan North is inside of the series, but he does not play the bishop. The bishop is played by Matt Frewer, of whom does a fantastic job as that bishop. But Nolan North is inside of the series. But Okay. It's not okay. who he plays. Cool. But it sounded so much like Nolan. And then in the first episode, I should say, when he like is kind of doing the dark voice, which is when I mentioned it. But as you get further along, it's like, oh, that's not quite. And it's very like deep and mysterious. Like the voice acting in this is insane again because they got off the charts actors to do these things and give some just ridiculous performances. Yeah. Yeah, it was so, so cool. Yeah. Hmm. I so okay let's let's continue with kind of the breakdown of the episode so we move on from the rebellion against the demons that the people managed to pull off with the holy water with the salt with everything else they managed to survive it seems or stave off the attack although there aren't that many of them for the record it's six forward six backward and maybe a few in between with spears so it's not like it's a big village that we're talking about fighting for its life um or a big group by any means. And obviously the speakers survive underground, but then we go into the underground and we fall in and, uh, go through a couple more layers than we had seen before. Again, entering ground and systems that we'd seen before the gears are turning in the background, which is such an iconic Castlevania thing is this like sense of like you're in a castle, but there are gears spinning. Like what the fuck is going on there? Very classic Castlevania. You see the, the aggravating platformer thing, which are those smashing pillars that collide with each other that'll kill you if you're in the middle if you don't time something correctly, which is a classic Castlevania thing that they did. It's their fucking thing. So cool. Permeates gaming, but it's originally from Castlevania. It was nice to see that little like hint and nod. Yeah. Uh, but eventually they make it through that. Yeah. What what do you think of that whole castle escape and like dive section? I mean, it was it was great. It was so natural mm-hmm. and just felt good. Still still with the 
this is very clearly a video game adaptation kind of deal. Oh yeah, like, and that though, that was the most obvious. I would agree. Yeah, that was that was pretty obvious. But I've come to accept that and mm-hmm. and like expect that by this point. Mm-hmm. So it it just felt good. <laughs> it just felt like a good way to tell this story and to call back to what he went through to get sypha to begin with and go and like find the the cyclops but take it a step step further and get deeper and see more like Hmm. everything about it felt great wow yeah i i mean like i i loved it i again like even though it's an it's a very clear homage it just it hit right Mm -hmm. that's kind of the the whole thing with me as this is a video game adaptation of a thing it hits right constantly. I, I think a number, I don't know what PJ, this is such a, a an oblique question that may not have a, a proper answer. So this might get cut, but what video adaptation, video game adaptations have you seen and which ones, you know, stood out to you in the wrong way? I genuinely can't think of one that I've seen. Okay. Like, I, I know that there are a few that exist. Like I know Halo has had, some short run TV shows and and things like that. I never saw any of that. Mario Bros had a movie back in the eighties. A movie in the eighties. They've got one coming up soon. I guess I probably won't see that next year. Just genuinely. It's it's not, it's not something that really grabs my attention and I don't think I'll gravitate towards it. Like if there's an event, and like there are people that invite me to it maybe i'll go watch it but i'm not going to seek it out on my own because it just doesn't I like i don't care were there any that you saw though that you can think of like did you watch the warcraft movie with the rest of us Mm-mm. no i i genuinely can't think of others at the, at did you see the moment. assassin's creed movie i would assume you would you would know like off the top of i didn't your head know there was have. a movie of the uh, yeah the assassin's creed. michael fassbender no less interesting yeah it's okay. It's got a did lot it, of bad in it, it, but it's got a good amount of good in it. X-Men movie come out, or did an X- X-Men video game come out before any of the movies? And can, can we call that an X-Men <laughs> no. video game adaptation? I mean, I'm sure, but no, <laughs> you can't, you can't call those. Good. I mean, fun, fun, fun question, but no. I'm trying to think. Did you see the new Mortal Kombat movie that came out in 20? I saw the old Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, my fuck. <laughs> Which well, is the, pretty good. the pinnacle of cinema, I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> all those punches that don't connect and people move, where it was clearly meant to be like a flame special effect or some shit that they yeah. just never filled in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Pinnacle of cinema. Cool. All right. So, I mean, like, like I can't think of are, more. Like, there aren't that many that aren't also based on like other source material. That's fair. That's fair. So where where do you put, I mean, like, obviously you've never played the game, so you can't talk about it as an adaptation, but can you think, you can't think of any, like Arcane is one that's naturally oh, a video game a adaptation, yeah. but like, that's not a, that's not a movie, but like, is there, can you think of any other, I'm trying to think through like other adaptations that you might've seen. There are tons of video game adaptations out there, which is also why I'm like blanked on some of the big ones, obscure ones that I'm thinking about. How... I love this show. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, we what can you're getting at is yeah. like, I love this show. I really do. And I'm yeah. excited to see the next season. I'm excited to to watch it all 
and mm-hmm. and really get into it. Maybe it'll kind of force my hand into playing some Castlevania games. When am I going to play them? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. When you fucking know. Is there is there a Wolfenstein show? No, no. There should be. No. Yeah, there there should be. <laughs> I don't. I, guess, I don't disagree I mean, with that I've at all. I've watched Man in the High Castle. That kind of feels like it almost. It's close. It's close. <laughs> you know, you're not wrong. No. I, to to your point, you know, I would prefer ten out of ten. I would take a Wolfenstein show, or a Doom show, or a Dishonored show over the Fallout show. I want to see a Bioshock show. That is happening. Again, that's back to is it? happening as a movie, okay. I think. Either a movie or a TV show. I'll double check after this. But it movie, Netflix I, owned I the rights. I think a movie works for it. What was that? Movie? I think a movie works. I think you yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could totally work. But mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. So of your experience with video video game This is great. This is great. I, core point was not that I was trying to shit on it. I was trying to like pick your brain for like what you've seen to begin with. This ruled for a number of reasons. I, I think that actually, fun, fun, funny enough, I don't know that everyone holds this opinion, but I think that Netflix actually has an incredible reputation at this point with adapting video games. I mean, and, and producing shows that adapt to video games. So we put this in the list. This is the first one, right? I'm coming to it late, but this is the first one. You then follow it up with Dragon's Blood, which is the Dota adaptation of taking a couple of the heroes from the show and like canonizing them and giving them big textual moments and like really making a story out of it. That's great. It's killer. The three seasons that are there are insane. I really love that show. Then you get Arcane, which is just... One of the best pieces of media I've seen, period. Arcane's like, it's amazing. so hard to beat. It's it is yeah. a tapestry of art. I'm sorry um, I didn't in like, and of itself. ping into that initially when yeah. you asked the question. But Arcane's Oh no, it's so it's good. all good. I, I said movies and I was focused on movies to begin with, but they, they do that and then they did Cyberpunk, and Cyberpunk, while not perfect, was still great. Like it, it was it was still a very good show. It ended up having some like really clunky dialogue in different times, but like I've seen way worse shows, way worse animated shows for sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is if if I had to rank, it would be tough to do so. But among those shows that I just mentioned, I would do Arcane. And I haven't seen enough Castlevania, so this doesn't feel fair, but Dragon's Blood, because it's a complete arc of three seasons, and I love that show and the way that it plays out. Then I put Castlevania, and that's only four episodes, and then I put Cyberpunk. But they're all incredible. They they blow they blow that Assassin's Creed movie I made that I talked about out of the water, the Warcraft movie, of which is some of my favorite shit on the entire planet, some of my favorite lore in the world. Destroy that movie, simply put. I mean like fuck so good okay i distracted inside of this conversation (laughs) we have to we need to round out kind of the final point of this episode talking about the reveal of alucard rising out of his mechanical grave which is the hero underground that has been forespoken by the speakers However, the speakers aren't talking about the past, but they were talking about the future, which is fascinating. What what do you think? What do you think about the whole thing? Uh, Man, introducing time travel is time dilation. Yeah. I mean, it's not not travel necessarily. It it is travel. It's talking about like a foretold 
ancient thing, but it's from the future, so he's only been there for a year. Like that that's absolutely time travel. <laughs> no, no, it's not time travel. To say like prof prophecy is not time travel. Okay, so it, I guess it's kind of conflating prophecy into it. It is very explicitly yeah. conflating the two. Like okay. that is what this is doing. But yeah, yeah, I I'm here for it. Like it, it worked really well. It it feels natural. It feels good. I don't know why he didn't just outright deny being Dracula because he 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 implies it. He doesn't even imply it. He just like questions it questions the question but is kind of cheeky about it the whole time yeah he definitely is being cheeky about it the whole time for me the way that i read that scene is like he he's trying like he's he's a teenager like a teenager he's an adult he's a young adult and he's he probably is also about the son of dracula right yeah he's about right around 20 years 20, 20 21 years after the death Lisa, of his Lisa mom. Meets yeah, Lisa meets Dracula. Right? Yes, sorry. Yeah. 20 yeah. years after. Yep. Yeah. 21 years in total after. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's roughly probably a 20 year old. Pretty close to 20. Yeah. And he is. He's a badass. <laughs> he is a badass. That's for sure. But I, I think that that accusation of him being Dracula is important for him to like also disown the legacy of Dracula in his own right, because he is not, he's not his father. And so he is asking why he's ascribing these things, not because he needs to immediately say, I'm not Dracula to disarm the scene, but because he's like, what do you see in me that makes me Dracula? And the entire time, the only thing that Trevor Belmont comes back with are all of the facts about vampires, basically. Yeah. Um, which means that he, that Trevor doesn't know anything about Dracula, even though we as an audience members know a decent amount about Dracula and his backstory. Right. Yeah, that, so. that's a good point. I think the other argument that could be made that I'm yeah. trying to like justify for myself is him wanting to confirm the prophecy mm. and confirm that this is a valid warrior and valid scholar that are coming to fight with him. That's a fair point, yeah. But does he need to confirm? Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, does I'm just he try, need to I'm confirm? trying to. I'm trying no, to I, give I, justification. I get it. I get it. I'm. I'm just picking at that like wound a little bit. Like, does he? Does he need to confirm? Think it? like because a twenty like, year old. I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but the other side of that sometimes is like prophecy exists in storytelling. Sometimes to just say that like this is going to happen. Not that everyone needs to actually acknowledge the prophecy. Like three out of four people can believe it. The one person doesn't might actually be like tangentially related, but they don't realize without knowing it, that they're impacting the end result of the prophecy. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of how I view it for him. Like, I don't think he thinks of himself as like some prophesied Messiah. I think he just, you know, exists, Mm -hmm. but he does take offense specifically to i i think like not he doesn't blame trevor i don't think that he gets mad at trevor for calling him dracula but he does take a little bit of offense it's a personal like at that thing to him yeah. yeah yeah but i think he recognizes that it's not intentional it's just yeah. his his own garbage that he has to deal with right and he also doesn't 
he also doesn't like bag on his dad either, which is its own thing. Like he doesn't really get mad at, at the very least. And so far as we've seen, he doesn't get mad at Dracula for his actions. He just, he says that he disagrees with them, which is its own thing as well. Where it's like, he's still dad, but like we fought and he won. Cause he's an old dude with <laughs> sharper claws and yeah. more experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cool. And so we end our season with our four or three heroes yeah. in episode four. I'm looking forward to, to season two. Truly. Yeah. It's, it's cool as shit, man. I had a yeah. good time. I had a good Me time. Too. I'm glad. Me too. Yeah. Wow. What a, I mean, like what a TV show, what a day, what a way to do this. I mean, we started at noon. We're done at five 30. Yep. <laughs> which is one hell of a recording session this is you know normally we're recording for four hours to get to this point but like doing the episode by episode was a ton of fun i don't know that it would ever work again in most no, circumstances th- this was this was a circumstance that made it work really well i think yeah right this was this was a test we could maybe do this with something like love death robots where it's a short you know a 10 minute thing like if we were covering a season but i think for the most part we'll stick away from doing it this way instead try to evaluate a whole season or try to you know if we were to do something like this this again there's no way it would be more than four episodes there's no way we could do more than four so we'd have to split something in half for the most part so all right well that thank you all so much for listening to the show we are super proud to be covering this as mentioned we're going to be covering the Man, there's so much that's coming out, so it's so hard to talk about what exactly we're doing. But we will be getting you Castlevania Season 2 in the near future. For the patrons, it's going to be coming out sooner, of course, to follow this up, likely next month. But for the public feed, it'll come when it comes. (laughs) So join the Patreon. Yeah. If there hasn't been a pitch ever, join the Patreon. What are you doing? Yeah, come come hang out with us. (laughs) Please, dear God. Mm. Just kidding. This but is like, come on. the Patreon Discord is like basically exclusively my social media. <laughs> like, <laughs> period. Like, yeah. that's it. That's it. That's all I use. That and memes for Instagram. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, I mean that's that's literally it. Speaking of Instagram, be sure to check out our social media. You can find us at Words Whiskey Pod on. Instagram and Twitter and Reddit. Twitter and Reddit. Yes. Quite. Yeah. Our, our Gmail, our email address is words and whiskey at gmail.com. Words and whiskey show at gmail.com. Words and whiskey show at gmail.com. Yes. 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 Just auto click in. Like I'm, I'm just logged in. I don't, I don't have to type it out very often. (laughs) Check. That's true. But in general, we are part of the Atomic Pylon Media Network, where we have some some very interesting and intriguing and exciting things coming forward. And we are very, very excited to share them with you. So keep your ears tuned for... Yes, we've got a lot of stuff coming out in the near future. If you're listening to this in public, the Books and Baddies show, which is going to be a ton of fun 
covering romance and the like and a number of different with the group from the romance episode of last year the romance short pour that we kicked all of this off with for the most part which is so fun and then on top of that we've got tales of kana and catacomb party of course continuing to explore the world of kana and the swamp in which we find ourselves trapped in, as well as Howlerpod, of which is breathing its life back into it, leading up until book six, which is very exciting, where we'll all be talking about Lightbringer. And by the way, if you want to catch them, you should be listening to our regular feed episodes with Words and Whiskey Show, where we're talking about Greenbone Saga. So, yeah, join us there. That'll be great. Very cool. excited. Well, sweet. We'll see you next month for potentially the next episode in Castlevania. If not, there's so much other shit to go listen to. Just go do it. Yes. 